This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, we have one of the newest members into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, former Kansas City Chief and Nebraska Cornhusker, Will Shields. Will, it's been a long time coming. A guy who made the Pro Bowl 12 times, you think he'd go in on his first uh, time as a Hall of Fame candidate? Well, you know, everybody's got to wait their turn. I think there's a lot of great guys out there that deserve to be in, in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, and even right now, you sort of look at it and go, yeah, I'm glad I'm in. But there's a lot of guys who've been waiting on that list for quite a while. And that list doesn't get any shorter over time. It's like, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't get in this year. And then there's, you know, here's a dozen more guys that are worthy of the Hall of Fame. And where do I fit in on all that? And, and that's where it sort of gets you. It makes it tough because you're going, you know, hey, I put up pretty good numbers. But really, for me, I wasn't looking to get into the Hall of Fame when you first started it. You know, you say you have Hall of Fame credentials. Um, and then from that point is when you start going, you know, I did play pretty good back in the day. You know, I do have pretty good credentials, you know. Then you start looking at it like, yeah, it would be cool to go into the Hall of Fame and, you know, those kind of things. But when you're playing, you know, you're just looking at it the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month of going, man, my body's sore. I got to work to get ready for the next week and things of that nature. How did you end up choosing Nebraska for your college? Well, you know, I had a couple colleges that were looking at me. Um, I actually had a hard time qualifying with the ACT. So I had, you know, different schools that sort of dropped out here and there. And, uh, you know, finally, an old coach from uh, OU told me that, you know, hey, I can use a combination of uh, scores to actually get qualified. Because, you know, big test was not my big, you know, not my big forte. And, um Basically, I qualified, and, you know, there's like four or five schools left. And out of the school, regardless of what it was, Nebraska was always at the top, one of the top of the list as far as where I wanted to go to school or what was going to be a best fit for me. Now, you can't tell me that Oklahoma had tougher academic regulations to get in than Nebraska. You know, and, you know, it didn't matter. They all had the same regulations. It was just across the board of what you had to get to get in. And, you know, that was part of the process of trying to make sure you could get in. Um, not saying teams dropped off because of that. I mean, I was always close enough that they knew I could get there. But, you know, they sort of saw me as being a kid that maybe wouldn't travel away from the Midwest or, you know, maybe wasn't as talented as some of the guys that they were looking for to go to the different coasts or things like that. So it, it was good because it was, you know, it fit for, my, for what I wanted to do and how I played the game. Did Tom Osborne personally recruit you, or were the assistant coaches the main guys? Assistant coaches. Coach Young and Coach um, Jennifer were the two that recruited me. Coach Young came down, spent some time, uh, talked to me about different things, and then Coach Jennifer came down and talked a little bit. And, you know, then Coach Osborne came down, of course, in that last visit to talk. Um, But the thing that was really unique for me is that they were already ahead of the game as far as uh, the academic piece of it, and that was very important, you know, with a guy that was already, you know, felt like he was struggling a little bit to get started, but to, uh, you know, to know that they already had academic support in place that would, you know, sort of help you get to where you needed to be, but also, you know, you didn't have to be there all by yourself. Nebraska didn't tell you about all the Outland Trophy winners they'd produced and things like that? 
Well, you know, you look at it and say, you know, they had a, they had a couple, you know, when I when I showed up, and there's been a couple since I left. But really, it was more or less because I knew I was going to end up playing offensive line, and if I went to a couple of different schools, I might have played defensive line. So, you know, it was sort of the best option for me. Um, I already knew the offense, so that you know gave me a leg up of you know of, of what I wanted to do because you know we played in two years before in our junior year. So it, it wasn't that hard of a transition or wouldn't be as hard of a transition than going somewhere new, starting over, uh, basically learning things from scratch. Uh, There's a familiarity with, you know, how the coaching staff worked and those kind of things. And they were similar to the coaching staff I had in high school. You never had to learn how to pass block in college because you guys ran, what, 90% of the time? Yes, sir. <laughs> Loved every minute of it. <laughs> that also makes your life a little easier, too. <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy defensive line more than offense? or? You know, I like both. Um, you know, the whole thing about it is I like both. And the thing that, you know, I really like is that, you know, you can do both. So my first year um, in the league, I actually spent, well, I shouldn't say the whole year, but all preseason, I was doing pass rushing things and playing on the defensive line during scout teams and things like that. And after practice, a guy that hurt his knee, I was trying to rehab him, get him back in shape. So they had me uh, working on pass rushing and things of that nature, uh, maybe give me an opportunity to play on the other side of the ball. But that gives you, when, when you end up playing offense, it gives you a better idea of what the defense is trying to do and, and what you as an offensive lineman, you know, what your job entails, I would think. Yeah, it works out really well. And for me, it, it was a simple fact that, you know, I played defense, you know, my whole life or both sides of the line. So I always knew what was sort of coming. Um, so it helped me, you know, sort of curtail what I wanted to do or how I wanted to do certain things when I was on the other side of the ball. Um, I wanted to play with a defensive mentality, um, but I had to do it under control. So that's sort of how you develop your how you're going to play the game. What was Coach Osborne like to play for? You know, Coach Osborne was a, a lot of fun to play for, but the thing of it is most people realize is that Coach Osborne let his coaches coach. And so you really developed a relationship with the coaching staff as it was. So, you know, Coach Osborne, he never really sat down and went through the X's and O's and all that stuff with you. He went and had his own meetings and they talked about it. Then his coaches came back and implemented everything that wanted to be implemented. So, you know, it's more of a relationship between all the coaches in itself and not just, you know, Coach Osborne, even though he is the leader of the group. Now, Nebraska is known for bringing in talent from out of state, but usually that's skill position players. Uh, was your adjustment from Lawton to making Nebraska easy, difficult? Um, it was fairly easy because, you know, at home I was sort of a homebody, so it made it easy to be at homebody, you know, on the college campus. Um, you know, there's always some growing pains here and there, just, you know, getting used to being away for a little bit, that kind of stuff. But um, nothing really difficult, you know. The simple fact of it is, is that you saw your team as your family and your friends were always part of that group. So, you know, it's like just the next part of bonding. What was your biggest game in college, you think? I have no idea. Um, I don't know what would be what have, what have been my biggest game in college. I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, basically there was 
since my well, I played a lot when I was a freshman, but for the last three years, I think I played in every game but one. So, you know, it's hard to just pick out one game compared to another. Okay. Was there one game that was more fun than the rest of them? I think I had fun every time I played. That's the one thing I, I like about, you know, for, for playing the game is that the love of sport is that, you know, every time I touched the field, it was fun. I mean, it was a competition. It was the the actual fact of, you know, you get a chance to go out and compete and play a game that you've played since you were little. Did, did you realize that you were going to get drafted by the Chiefs, or did you have no clue where you were going to go in the 80, or 93 draft? Yeah, I had no idea. You know, you're always one of those kids that, you know, even though they projected you to go in the third round, you're hoping that you might slip in that first or second round, that somebody would give you an opportunity before um, before they actually said you were going to go. Um, you know, at one point you're thinking about it as, you know, you're the Allen Trophy winner, so you should be able to go in the first two rounds because you've won a, a prestigious award or what have you. But, you know, that's not necessarily the case. And you learn that fairly quickly when you talk to, you know, different scouts and different agents and different things of that nature. Um, but it's also a great learning curve of, you know, A, it's not where you go in the draft. It's what you do after you get drafted. And that's all it is, is getting that opportunity to get your foot in the door and make sure that nobody's ever going to get you out of it. Now, I, I look at that 93 draft, and no guards were drafted until the third round, and you were number th- the, th- the number three guard in that round. You know, But I also look and see who the top two players were, were quarterbacks Drew Bledsoe and Rick Meyer. So yeah. e- even when uh, these NFL geniuses make their selections, n- not always correct, you know. There were some good players drafted ahead of you and some good players drafted behind you. But yeah. it, it's just, okay, let me get into training camp and, and show you what I can do. Is that pretty much the mindset you took? Well, I think it's more or less is when you when you got the simple fact that, you know, you got skipped for two rounds and then you got an opportunity to go in and prove, you know, try to prove what you, what you, what you can do. Um, you look at it as if now it's time to move on to provide uh, for your family for one, but also you got to look at it as a true job. Uh, you know, now this is your career. This is what you're going to um, try to make into a career and not just a flash in the pan that's there for a year or two or, you know, that guy that goes, hey, I remember, I remember that guy. Whatever happened to him? You know, you don't want yeah. to be a guy that, makes into a career. So it was good. I had good coaches when I first came in. They sort of set the tone of, you know, what it was going to be to be like to be a pro. And I had great players like uh, Joe Montana and Marcus Allen. And I got a chance to sit and watch them prepare and to see how they did things and go, you know what, I want to be like those guys. I want to be, you know, the guys I emulated and watched. I want to be able to say, hey, I had a good career and, you know, I had a coach that actually brought that up, you know, one of the first meetings we were ever in. You know, if you can make this a true career, that means you've done something right. So, you know, from that point forward, you're always looking for that, hey, that next that next group, that next goal, that next rung, so that you can keep performing better and better on a higher level. What was Montana like in the huddle? Huh? What was Joe Montana like in the huddle? Very cool and relaxed. I mean, that was one thing about him. You know, he never knew if he was rattled or if anything bothered him or anything like that. He was 
the same regardless if you were, you know, down by 21 or, or up by 21. Uh, you know, he'd walk in the hole and if he, you know, hey, I saw this, this, and this, give me a, he'd, all he'd just say is, give me a little more time. And that's when you knew he, he saw something in the last play that he was going to make something happen. You know, just give me a little more time and he can make things happen. And that's what you, you like about having guys that understand the game from inside out because, you know, they see certain things and they'll be able to say, you know what, give me a, two more seconds and I know this guy will beat that guy and we'll make it happen. How long into training camp was it before you knew you could play at that level and, and the coaches recognized that you could play at the, the NFL level? Well, it wasn't until right before we went into training camp. Um, we had a couple of mini camps, and my first mini camp was terrible. I had no idea what I was doing. I was sort of lost trying to catch up. The game was so fast at that point in my eyes, and I was trying to figure out what was, you know, how could I get better. And then one of my agents came out, and we actually played one-on-one basketball, and he sort of explained to me, he was like, you know, you're making this way too complicated. And I said, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, look at this. That's the goal. The goal is the quarterback, and you're going to keep me away from him. Just like you play basketball, you're going to play football. And he just sort of made it simple. You know, and I said, oh, is that is that how easy it is? It's not, you know, complicated. I don't have to stay perfect and do this and do that. He was like, nope. And then uh showed up to the next camp, showed some flashes, and, you know, the coach, go, you know, started giving me some tips and different things to work on when I went home and, you know, at that point, I I was like, you know what? I, I think I can do pretty well in this league if I just can keep moving forward and keep working on what what I need to do to get better. Which lineman gave you the toughest time competing against? Uh, actually, John Randall was tough. Uh, he gave me fits all the time. And uh, then Trevor Price. You know, Trevor's rookie year, uh, the coach we had that says, you know, I hope, I hope nobody teaches that kid how to pass for us because he's going to be something <laughs> special. And, of course, lo and behold, guess who ends up leaving? My old line coach ends up leaving and going to Denver and teaching this kid how to pass for us. So, you know, it's one of those things of, you know, he could tell guys what they could do just by seeing them on film. And it's just amazing how, you know, guys got better as, you know, you saw it as it was moving on as, as you were working your way year by year. John Randall told Elliot and I that one of the keys to his success was he talked trash, but not just about the player. He knew about their family members, girlfriends, where they went to school. He got in their heads, so they weren't even thinking about football when they were playing against him. Did he do that to you? Well, he tried, but, you know, and you know, I had enough problems with them physically without even worrying about the mental part. You know, um, I really didn't care what he was saying or what he was doing. I was more or less worried about the other parts of it, the physical pieces of it. Um, you know, so, you know, there's, there's parts of the game where he's going, oh, you're not going to talk to me now, huh? You're not going to be my friend. You're not going to do that and the other. I just looked at, looked at him like he was crazy. Um, but John is a great guy. I mean, what's really cool is you hate playing against him, but off the field, you know, and talking to him, and we actually got to spend some time together, uh, you know, after a couple of Pro Bowls, and he is an awesome guy to be around. Does he still talk trash or not Not as much? <laughs> of course. He still got to He still talks trash. Why wouldn't he? I, feel, I know if I'm on the golf course, if you're golfing, he's sitting there trying to talk trash while you're over a putt or teeing up a drive. Uh, of course, and he's very competitive about golf, too, is what I hear. I've never got a chance to play with him because, you know, I'm not that caliber yet. But 
I've heard he's very, very competitive when it comes to golf. Now, when you broke in, Marty Schottenheimer was the coach. Did his, was there much interaction between you and him? Um, not a lot. I mean, we you know we had a couple of meetings here and there, that kind of thing, but we really didn't have um, you know, I guess a relationship. Marty's a defensive coach. So he was very tied into his defensive players and things like that. I mean, we got along fine. We talked fine. But, you know, um, closeness, I guess, we're good. We get along and all that good stuff. But, you know, I ended up becoming closer with a couple of other coaches and that kind of thing. Which coach do you think was the key to your success? You know, I had a lot of coaches that was key to my success. I mean, if you go back to high school, I had Coach Madden and Coach Breeze. I go to college, I had Coach Young and Coach uh, Jennifer, and then in college, I mean in pros, uh, Coach um, Alex Gibbs was my first coach, and he basically sort of set the tone for what my career could be. And in doing that, you know, he uh, he really, you know, set, set the tone in my mindset of what I could do. What, what was the key to being a successful lineman? I think it's constantly working on your game. Um, I think, you know, you've got to work on different things and also learning what everyone else uh, is doing. And that really helps. Is it a matter of somebody pushing you or you pushing yourself or a combination of that? Well, you need to push yourself. I mean, you've always got to be your, not your worst detriment, but your worst critic so that you know you're always working to get better. Um you know, if you can see where your where your downfalls are before somebody else does, that's always a better thing than, you know, always waiting for someone else to tell you what you're not doing right. And then from that point, being, being open enough to take other people's criticism and use it to make yourself better. I see that you won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. You also won the Outland. Is there an award you won? that stood out as your most prestigious or favorite award? Um, you know, I don't think I have one favorite. I mean, the Walter Payton Man of the Year is, you know, one of those accolades that's very, uh, very I should say it's, it's a great community-based outreach piece uh, because community really helped you get it. It wasn't you individually. It was the community that helped you build your programs and be a part of your programs because without their support, you know, you couldn't have gotten anything done that, you know, not anyone else could do, but their support really helped you. And then also the Walter Camp Man of the Year Award. Those two um, really sort of uh, solidifies what your foundation is for of what you did off the field, not necessarily just on the field. When you blocked for the Chiefs, you had, you had some pretty good running backs. You had uh, Marcus Allen, Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson. Well, was there a favorite you had blocking for, and, and was there a difference in how you as a lineman had to perform to block for them? Well, you know, there is. I mean, uh, of course, Priest was fun to block for because I think that was one of the most prolific offenses that we, we had a chance to put together. Um, you know, that was when offense was fun. I mean, and also when we had Joe Montana and Marcus Allen, that was a fun offense to be in. Um, just because the simple fact of it is is that you're pushing the ball down the field. You're putting points on the board. You know, all those things are always part of it. When your offense struggles, those are not the most fun parts to be in because it's the grind. 
Um, but you know, those were all different different parts of your life, the beginning and then of course close to the end of where you had a blast. How did you never miss a game in fourteen years? Luck. <laughs> Luck is one of those keys to it, but I had a great staff around me, um, great chiropractor, Dr. Maladnoff. Man, that guy would actually try some things that would get my body back in back on track where I never thought, you know, like one week I don't think I'm gonna play and he'd figure some things out and then and with that with the staff, that training staff they had at the Chiefs on top of that, I mean it was amazing some of the things that they could do to get you to be able to perform that next week. Yeah. Not missing a game doesn't mean you weren't hurt because I think just about everybody that plays in the NFL plays hurt to a certain degree. Is there a, is there a threshold of, of pain that uh, says, okay, I, I can do this? Do you have well, to put it I out mean, of your mind? There's a threshold of pain of, you know, of what you can and can't do, but it's also recovery time, being able to recover enough to say, okay, I can push through it. Um, you know, I can get through it one way or another. And then there's another point of, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to be a detriment to the team because I can't get, you know, to do what I needed to do to help the team. And, I, and that's, you know, that's the key. You know, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. And if you're just hurting, you push your way through. If you're injured, you need to sit down with somebody else that's going to play and perform at a higher level. How hard is it not to be a member of a Super Bowl winning team and a player? Well, it's pretty easy because, you know, we never <laughs> did it. <laughs> but, you know, seriously, though, it's, uh, you know, the thing is, is that there's only one winner. There's only been 49 Super Bowls, and some have more than others. Um, closest we ever got was a championship game, and that was my rookie year. And, you know, some some teams are just built destined for, for greatness. We just never could get over the hump of where we needed, where we wanted to be. When Dick Vermeil was coaching to the Chiefs, did, did he ever bring up talk at the Super Bowl as a guy who'd been there before? Oh, every year. I mean, that's your goal in mind. Even years that, you know, the couple of years that we were six and ten, you know, we started off the year, hey, we want to be in the Super Bowl. We want to be in contention. And the way it comes down is, you know, getting that light, the lightning to strike at the right time. And that would be, you know, when you get to that point of, you know, playoff time and everything's starting to click, that's when you know you can make that run. And sometimes you get into the into the false sense of, hey, we've arrived, and then you exhale, and then when you get he- exhale, you get hit in the mouth. <laughs> and so that's the hard part about it. You know, you don't, you don't try to keep your team to where they don't exhale. And some people just understand how to get, get their teams ready when it comes playoff time. How hard was it when the Chiefs uh, lost Derek Thomas? It was hard. I mean, you think about it, you know, he's, he's a key player to what we were trying to do and what we were trying to accomplish. And, you know, we had a future built around him and, and what he did as, as far as a player. And when you lose him as a player and a, and a friend, it makes it tough. I mean, the simple fact that, you know, that guy was in the locker room with you and, you know, showed up to your events, charity events and things of that nature, and now he's gone, you know, it leaves a void. As a coach, what was Herm Edwards like? Was was he shouting all the time? 
or what? No, he's not a real. He doesn't shout on coaching, but he does. Uh, you know, he likes to talk, as you can tell. Um, very boisterous <laughs> in a sense. Um, you knew when he was coming down down the hallway, but you know. It was really interesting because when I first met Herm, he was really quiet because um, he was here when I was a rookie, and he was a DB coach at that point. Didn't say a whole lot, and then for him to come around full circle and be a head coach, you know, it was different. I mean, he does, you know, he's he's a very nice guy. He does a great job. Um, some players like him. Some players are not sure how to take him. You know, I'm one of those guys that's in between. I like him. He's a great guy. You know, and it's just you know, part of fitting the right scheme and the right people in the right place. How did you know when it was time to call it a career? Because, I mean, you were still a Pro Bowl player when you retired. Well, I knew it was time to quit when they said they were going young. And I was sore every week and, you know, fighting to get back, you know, every week to get up. Hey, I'm going to play again next week. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're doing that. And then we make it in the playoffs, which, you know, I think that was the rough year of playoff time because we had, what, seven or eight things happen for us to get in the playoffs. Now, of course, we won our game, but we had to have, like, six other teams lose, win, tie, or whatever to get in. And, you know, that was also the year that, well, Willie didn't come back. So that was, you know, one of those tough years that we fought through. And then when they go, hey, we're going to get young, and I was like, yeah, it's time for me to move on. My knees hurt, my back hurt, but for me to keep fighting, you know, for a battle and we're not looking for a championship, we're looking to go young again, I really didn't have that time on my body to keep, you know, keep fighting that, you know, that, that old thing, that old thing called age. After you retired and it's Sunday, do you say to yourself, you know, if I just had to play on Sunday, I could still do it? You know, maybe that was maybe you know, five years ago, four years ago, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, being, you know, now that I'm like nine years removed, which is crazy to think about, you know, seven, eight, nine years removed, you know, you always think, hey, I got one good play in me, that kind of thing. Um, as long as you can still, you know, walk, talk, and move, you got that one good play in you. Um, and, and that's just sort of your mentality that you have that you sort of, that's what kept you playing as long as you played. Uh, that's what kept you being the person that you are is the competitive nature of it. You know, somebody asked me, um, actually Charles Haley asked me the other day. All right, somebody asked me, hey, Will, do you think you could block Charles Haley? Do you think you'd want to face him? I was like, you know what? I'd face him any day he wanted to. I said, that would be fun. Not saying I'd win, lose, or, or whatever, but I'm not afraid <laughs> to step to the line with anybody. <laughs> What do you think of this new Hall of Fame procedure where they have the finalists wait in a hotel room and then you wait for the president of the Hall of Fame to come in the room and knock on the door and let you know you're in? I think it's kind of unfair to these players because, I mean, all the pressure's on you, and if you don't get in, it's I think it's a huge disappointment. Well, it's better than what it used to be, and I don't know if anybody knows what it used to be. Being able to go through it four, four years in a row, I know what it was like before they had the show and start having you where you can walk out and, you know, at least know that you made it. Um, it used to be where if they didn't call you, you weren't in. Um, and you could be anywhere. You could actually be at the Super Bowl. You could be at home. You could be whatever. They didn't even call you and let you know you were in. You find out on the Internet. So for them to at least acknowledge you and bring you out and say, hey, you're part of the final list, that's a start. You know, that's better than not knowing at all 
and someone else tell you via, you know, email or a phone call or something, oh, by the way, you didn't make it. <laughs> at least, at least you know at that point. Now, it was rough the first year they did it, which was last year, I believe, they actually did the first show. And right. being part of that group, you're on the same floor, and you're listening to them knock. And you're going, okay, he's knocking on the other door over there. This guy comes out, and he's screaming, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And then you get the same knock on your door. You're going, hey, this might be. And then if somebody else is not the guy that's actually running the thing, you go, sorry, you didn't make it in this year. But at least you know. And you have an opportunity to go to the show and, you know, that kind of thing. At least you know how it goes and everything else. And now you know more about the process, which, you know, takes you a couple of years to learn that you need, like, you know, 80% to get in. So you could be on the final ballot and still not get in because you need 80%. And it's a tough crowd in there because everybody's pulling for their guys to get in for sure. And then the second, third, and fourth spot, you know, are always held up. So it's four to eight or four to ten. And until this year, I just now learned all the little nuances that go on. Go on. And so you can only imagine what it would be if you're, you know, not knowing anything or, and you're just going, well, I should be in because I was a good player. But it still comes down to there's a lot of good players out there that yeah. play great football that needs the opportunity to be able to um, declare that they are great athletes. So after you find out that you're not in, what do you do? Do you, do you pack up your bags and go home? Do you go out to dinner? Do you stay for the Super Bowl? No, you walk over to the show. And you sit and, you know, watch the show and that kind of stuff. And then they introduce the guys out that are in the Hall of Fame. And then from there, you can either, you know, go back to your room, go eat dinner or, you know, whatever you want to do that night. And then you can either, you know, hop to fly. You know, if you already have your flights booked, that's one thing. But if you don't, then you have to get your flight made if you're going to fly home and not go to the Super Bowl or if you're going to watch the Super Bowl from there and fly out the next day. They pretty much have it set up to where, you know, you're set up to fly out the day after the Super Bowl if unless you get in. If you get in, then you actually have to stay that whole day and go through the process of learning of how everything is going to work. So there was no temptation to pull a Kanye West and run up on the stage and say, this should be me? <laughs> No, um, you know, the great thing about, you know, I guess, I don't know if anybody's going to do it now that you gave an idea, they might think about it. Um, but, you know, the whole thing is, if you look up on stage and go, well, this guy should be in, that guy shouldn't be in, why should this guy be in? You know, it's really tough because I'm sitting in a seat where Tim Brown is sitting in front of me the year before. And Charles Haley is sitting two seats in front of me, you know, and I'm going, this guy's been waiting seven years, this guy's been waiting nine or ten years, what gives me the right to be in front of anyone else? And I've been here two, three, or four years. You get, you know, so it's the respect of all the other guys that have come before you and have done things. And so, and it also gives you that confusing piece of going, you know, how did this guy not get in if he has this, this, and this? Or maybe these are not the criteria. Or so what's this or what's that? So you start questioning you know, what is and what isn't when it really comes down to, you know, sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's fortunate, sometimes you're unfortunate. Um, you just sort of roll with the punches, and that's sort of the life of being an NFL player, especially the life of being an offensive lineman, because we don't have those stats. We don't have those 
other criteria that can be vaunted as being, well, you know, you played in 95% of the snaps of the Chiefs over 14 years. I'm just throwing it out there. Right. not saying it's me. I'm just saying, you know, you don't have all those stats and things that to back up that you were a good athlete. You just went out and played and did your job. But with all the statistics that there are nowadays, you know, baseball's had them for a long time. Uh, basketball has them. Hockey has them. I think at some point, football will have it too, where they'll they'll be able to say, okay, eighty-five, ninety percent of the time, he blocked his man the way he was supposed to. You know, sort of like the way they go over in uh, the, the films after the games. But so, you know, he'll have somebody keeping track of all that and they'll be able to say yeah, okay he was the most su- successful blocker or the he got called for holding uh, you know 10% of the time or or more or whatever and they'll be able to to do a better job because nowadays it's oh he was a good lineman oh yeah he played a long time he, he made a lot of pro bowls and there's not a lot of statistical uh, analysis to say you know he he was one of the best who ever played the game well, then you're going to go back to the fact of who go, who's going to grade the grader. <laughs> you know, as they say, guys, got, oh, he's got 127 tackles. Okay, so if he falls on the pile, does that count as a tackle? Yeah. You know, so, you know, there's always those statistics that can be skewed. You know, fact is figure, figure is fact is what a coach used to tell us. You can make them fit any way you want to. Um, but it comes down to, you know, the simple fact of, Hey, you know, I love the game. I respect the game. And, you know, I am happy and fortunate to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, and and it's a unique position to be in, especially being an offensive lineman. And I will uh, hopefully honor it and also revel in it at the same time. Did you decide who's going to present you uh, at the Hall of Fame? Uh, no, me and my wife was going over it again last night. I have my short list, and she's trying to help me and everything else. And then I started, you know, avoiding it a little bit here and there. And then I go back to it. Um, but, you know, hopefully by, you know, this time next week, I'll know who's going to present me. And and then, you know, it'll it'll be set. So you make it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and the day after, you have to go to class and learn what that means. What do they talk to you about? Do they figure your schedule for the next six months or whatever it is? Well, they do little things. There's part of the scheduling. There's part of the, you know, understanding what happens that uh, the couple days you're up there in Canton, you know, you know, just go through the itinerary because it's a lot to prepare for because, you know, you've got everyone you've ever known to a certain degree that's now going, hey, are they going to make the trip to Canton and who do you invite and who don't you invite? And, you know, there is, you know, that list that you have to put together of, you know, people that are close to you and that kind of thing. And it's not a small task to put together, you know, a big big deal like this. You still work out? I attempt at working out, yes. (laughs) <laughs> Do you know any good gyms? Yeah, I got a great gym up here in Kansas City that I train people at. You, know, you should know that. <laughs> I see. 68, 68 Inside Sports. The number 68 must mean something to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was the last number I got to wear. You know, that's, only, that's sort of how that came to fruition. 
But yeah, we have a training complex up here that works out really well. We take we train pretty much every sport. Um, we call it. We have 115,000 square foot of training, basically. You know, from football, basketball, soccer, and lacrosse. We can do it all from baby swimming to uh, basically uh, athletic uh, pool aerobics, things of that nature. We do a little bit of everything. Could you teach an offensive lineman to hold? And not get called for it. (laughs) We don't teach holding. We we teach negotiating space. (laughs) And and how do you teach negotiating space? Oh, you can teach it in various different ways. There's about a thousand different ways to teach negotiating space. Is there a key to, to not getting called for holding? There are some keys to it. I mean, you know, those are different technique things that you use, and it's not necessarily holding if you're, in, you know, if you're caught inside the body frame. That's the rules and regulations. Now, when I first started playing football, you couldn't hold or grab onto anything. You basically had to grab onto your own uh, chest pet, chest plate and run around with chicken wings trying to block people. Right. So you can you can imagine, you know, how far the game has come along to where now you can at least open palm, hands on chest, as long as your frame is within his body frame, you can go ahead and do what you got to do. But as soon as it comes out, it's sort of like, you know, anything else, the arm extensions, hold on, that kind of stuff, that's holding. Uh, you've been in the Kansas City area for a long time. Do you have a favorite rib place? You know, I like Hayward's, I like Zardo's. And I like Oklahoma Joe's. I'd say those would be the top three. And there's a new place called The Rub. So, you know, that's the that's problem with Kansas City. We got about 50 different places you can get barbecue at. It okay. just depends on what day it is. <laughs> okay. I'm older than you by a lot. And, I, and back in the day, it was always Arthur Bryant's. Yep, Arthur Bryant's is still good. Okay. Um, you know, that's if, that's if you like a dry rib. That works for you. <laughs> And in Cincinnati, it's Montgomery Inn, no question about it. Is it? Yes, that's the most famous one in Cincinnati. I thought you know that when you play the Bengals. You know what? We don't go to real places when we go. You know, we go to actually eat different kinds of food. We can't sit and load up on ribs and plan on going to block people the next day. <laughs> Elliot, another great show today. Two Hall of Famers, Jerome Bettis and Will Shields. I mean, it just you can't get any better than this. Well, we got our executive producer, Dave Olson, who should be a Hall of Famer, too, one of these days. What's the difference between an executive producer and a producer? Does the executive pay more? You'd have to ask Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts. I'm David Spade with Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com.